Mac Power Users, episode 418. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, along with my pal, David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie Floyd. How are you? I'm well. I am so excited. This has been a long time coming for Mac Power users. We have, I, I feel like she's really a member of the family now, David, because she does. She, she is a member of the family. So much for Mac Power users. If you're in the Facebook group, you know her well. We, we are welcoming to the show our very own Rose Orchard. So welcome, Rose, to MPU. Hi. But you've just been here all along, I feel like. Uh, I have been listening to Quite a few years. For folks who don't know Rose, she is the uh, she's the person who helps us out uh, on the Facebook group, helps make sure that it's a nice, safe environment for everybody. And and thank you for doing that, Rose, because I know how much work that is. But Rose is also a, a nerd like us, and she's got some really great ideas. Uh, we had a chance to talk to each other when I was in London, and as I started hearing all the workflows she's got going, I'm like, the listeners need to hear this. So we got Rose on the show. Um, in addition to being a nerd like us, Rose is a teacher. She teaches English as a foreign language in Austria, Germany, Italy, Japan, Turkey, Poland. Any other countries you want to add to that, Rose? Uh, no, that that's the uh, complete list for now, at any rate. I think so. by the next time we get you on, you need to double that. Just just keep going. <laughs> well, I don't really teach English anymore, unfortunately. I'm, I'm mostly just programming nowadays. Even better for us. And, and so tell us a little bit about what you're learning. Uh, well, I... I um, I used to teach uh, English and I was mostly teaching English in Austria. And I, I learned German st when I studied in the UK. I studied French and German. And I was over here so much that I decided that I would move here. And um, then I realized that I really enjoyed IT. So I went and I studied at the Technical University here in Vienna. And I studied IT and I actually ended up working at the university. Um, and so I studied programming. So it's programming languages. Exciting. Exciting. So how's that going? It's been going very, very well. I got very lucky in that I, I found uh, a couple of opportunities to make some programs which would make a difference. So I built those programs and that's what got me hired. And now I'm making more of them. So, so tell us that story because you shared that with me in London and I thought it was just a great story uh, of, uh, of how you got that gig. Yeah, so I was I was actually teaching English at the time. I was teaching English alongside my studies, and I wanted to find a job that would have more regular hours during the week that I wouldn't have to skip classes for. So I found one working in the service center of the university, answering calls, asking people, "Have you turned it off and turned it back on again?" The question that we that. all ask. <laughs> um, and so um, I, I went for the interview, and I I talked to one of the guys who interviewed me recently and he said that they honestly didn't expect me to be able to do anything based on my CV. You know, an English teacher doing IT, really? Um, we tend to be the ones needing IT support. Um, so I popped, I went into the interview and I did all of the exercises in about five minutes, um, just setting up an email account, connecting people to the Wi-Fi network and all of those things. And then I started working as a student assistant. 
and the service center is where all the packages arrive for the department. And I was fed up with writing down these 20 digit package numbers every single time they came in and sitting down and manually writing an email to somebody to say, there's a package here, please come and pick it up at your earliest convenience. And I thought, hmm, somebody could automate this. So I did. And I wrote a program and that's the program that got me hired. <laughs> what Now, what'd you write the program in? Uh, I wrote it in PHP, uh, which is a very popular language for writing web-based programs. It's a little older. Lots of things nowadays are written in JavaScript, but I started with PHP because my boss suggested that if I was going to write it, he would like it in PHP. So that's what that's, I did. That's so great. I mean, so, so the English as a second language uh, teacher starts like schooling them on PHP. I love it. I love it, Rose. <laughs> and you got your initial job just kind of by virtue of of being a geek and knowing how to to do these things that probably most of the listeners to the show have have helped everybody with their life in doing. Oh, I can I can help you with your email. I can I can help you figure out why your machine's not booting. I can help you with those types of things. Have you always been a little bit of a geek? Yes, yes I have. So, my parents had a Windows 95 machine and I was allowed to play on it providing it worked after I'd played with it. Which So you had to fix it after you're done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Many hours of how did I change the background to just plain purple instead of the default Windows image of whatever it was in Windows 95? Well, you know, in my head that in that story where you're writing the PHP, you're wearing tights and you have a cape. I'm not sure what's on it. Maybe it's a pair of glasses or something, but I just see it that way. Definitely a pair of glasses. There we go. So what are your interests now? I know in the Facebook group, you're always volunteering to write workflow workflows. We got to get a better name for that um, for for everybody. What, what is your primary focus now? Is it writing in PHP or JavaScript or, or workflow in your spare time? Where is your area? Uh, well, in my spare time, I, I mostly, if I'm programming, I mostly use Workflow and Pythonista because they're very quick for accomplishing things and it will run on all of my devices. Um, but uh, at work, I'm mostly working in PHP and JavaScript. Um, I created a very large system which synchronizes between our ticket system and a structural system for how our entire department works. And that's written in PHP because it's a very, very large web application. You know, while we're on the subject of workflow, I just want to say to everyone out there that I, I, I still get these emails from people saying, well, I'm not going to use it anymore because Apple bought it and I don't think it has any future. Uh, I, I really think you're making a mistake if you're doing that, because number one, it's working currently. It's, it's still getting updates, albeit not huge ones, but it, they're still keeping the lights on. So you've still got this amazing tool available to you. And I've talked to the workflow guys since they went into Apple, and uh, they really are encouraging everybody to keep using the app. And, and they haven't said this to me, but my feeling is I think Apple's looking at how many people are using the app, and that's going to help them determine how many resources to put into doing automation in iOS. So, you know, if you're out there and you, you've stopped using Workflow just because it got bought, please don't. I, I think you're really missing out. I would also say all the skills in Workflow are transferable skills. You can use these automation things anywhere. Keyboard Maestro, you could translate it to Python. And at some point, Apple is going to add some workflowy type thing to iOS. And they hired the guys who made Workflow to do it, presumably. So, you know, the things you learn in Workflow are going to transition to whatever the next big sexy thing that Apple releases is. So please do it. 
Now I'll get off my soapbox and we will continue the show. So, Rose, what kind of gear are you using for, for all of this work that you're doing? Are you able to use Macs at, at the office or, or you just use uh, the Macs at home? Well, when I started, I had the standard Windows desktop under my desk um, and nice dual monitors attached to it. Uh, and I put up with it because that's what I was given. And then at one point I need a laptop and there's a choice of a few different machines at work, one of which when I chose mine was a MacBook Adorable. So I got the MacBook Adorable, I set it up and I basically switched to using it full time. My boss noticed and said, well, should we get you a better monitor? Because the MacBook Adorable, uh, the 12 inch model only supports one external display. So I now have a 34 inch ultra widescreen monitor attached to that which is brilliant, actually. Now, now, how is it using that as your your only Mac? I, I haven't talked to anybody that's done that. Is it is it uh, do you find it limiting at all, or is it is it keeping up? Uh, for most things, it works extremely well. I wouldn't recommend it if you're rendering 3D graphics or something like that. I have tried. It takes quite a while. Yeah, um, you can do it. You just got to give it time. <laughs> exactly. But for what I'm doing. I, I do have MAMP running, so I have my own local server. Um, but most things that I'm doing are executed on remote servers anyway. So the bulk of the work that I'm doing is typing, in a sense. So, it's a terminal yeah. for a lot of the stuff you do. Exactly. And I do still have to use Windows occasionally. So I have a virtual Windows machine running on a server in our department, which I can connect to from anywhere. And that works fine if I need to use Windows. But everything I can. If you're using a, a MacBook Adorable, which for people who don't know the Marco and Armet co a coined terminology, that would that would be the MacBook, the, the single port USB-C MacBook. Are you using some kind of docking station solution if you're using this at a desk? Or Yeah. So when I'm at my desk, I have a, I think it's a Hutu adapter, which is just plugged in and I've got a HDMI, I've got a LAN cable and a USB cable plugged into that which provides me with everything I need, actually, to use it as my primary machine. It also does pass-through charging, which with one port, of course, is very important. And have you found those adapters pretty reliable? I know some of them have been hit or miss, and I, I don't know that Hutu is a brand that I've, I've heard of before. Uh, well, I actually have a Hutu travel router, uh, which I knew worked very, very well. Um, so I, I had a, a choice of a couple and the first adapter I bought, I bought something from iTech on Amazon and I had to install drivers to get things working and all sorts. And it just didn't support display resolutions properly, things like that. So because it was from Amazon, I sent it back. I ordered the Hutu and I've not looked back. It was plug and play, which is all you need. I've also got an Amazon Basics HDMI adapter, which is like the Apple one, but from Amazon, so half the price, and that works perfectly as well. Yeah, we were we were talking about those Hutus years ago. Those routers are great. It's like the size of um, I don't know, like a, almost like the size of a big stick, of, a big uh, pack of gum, and it's a router. It fits in your bag. It's got a cable attached. Those are those are great little devices if you travel. So you've got the uh, you've got the MacBook. What about battery life? How's that doing for you? It works great on battery. I have had days where I've barely made it to my desk for lunch. And it, so it's been running on battery all day. And it was red by the end of the day, the battery, probably 10%. But it 
did make it through an eight hour day without me charging it and running all sorts of programs, connecting to virtual machines, et cetera. And, you know, I'd like to talk about virtual machines just a little bit. That that technology has really kind of arrived over the last several years where it's very easy now to virtually run a PC. And I bet there's a lot of listeners that, that aren't aware of how easy that is. Could you explain that a little bit and how you're doing it? Sure. So my my Windows virtual machine, it's not installed locally on my Mac. It's actually installed on the server, but you could do either. And um, Amazon Workspaces is actually a, a great solution if you don't want it installed locally, because then you can connect to the same virtual machine from lots of different devices, from your iPad, from your Mac, etc. Um, but basically what you can do is use a program like VirtualBox, which is free. And you assign it, say, a couple of gigabytes of RAM, uh, a couple of gigabytes of storage space, however much you decide, and you install an operating system. And you can install whatever operating system you want. You could install a Linux operating system, you can install Windows, and then you can start that up and it runs inside of your computer. And then you have a full operating system. So, so if somebody's listening right now and they've got a job where they're using Windows and they've got a Mac at home and occasionally are going to need to have a Windows computer, uh, I, I know one of the ways you solve that problem is you convince IT at work to let you virtually tunnel into your, your work computer. But maybe they don't let you for some reason and you need to have access to a, a Windows computer. What What is the cost of doing that? And um, what would you give in, in terms of degree of difficulty for someone? It's really not that difficult. There are lots of guides out there. Basically, the only cost involved is a Windows license, and that's all you need. Um, it depends on exactly how you set it up as to what is the best solution. Crossover might be a better solution just for the few applications that you need. But. Yeah, I will tell you that I do this as well on my, my work machine because the estate planning software that I use unfortunately is not cloud-based. It's, it's one of the very few things I use that, that is not, but it's PC only. So I actually went with the Parallels install and I use Parallels. I think at the time I had Windows 7 Pro, but then, or I'm sorry, just regular Windows 7. And then at some point they upgraded everybody to to Windows 10. And I've been running that system for, for several years and I'm very careful not to upgrade anything that if, if I don't need to, if it, if it works, I keep it going. Yeah. Well, and you're talking about virtualization on your own machine, right, Katie? Right. That's what I'm doing because I don't, you know, I don't, it, I'm just a, a small office and have only one need for, for that one use to, to use it. So I, I boot into it when I need to, I, I run it for maybe a, a, an hour or two at a time to do what I need to do. And then I, I get out. Yeah. And the nice thing about doing that is as soon as you get it set up right, you just make a copy of it on a backup drive somewhere. So if it gets, you know, windowized, you know, and virused or whatever, you can just delete that partition or that that file and then re just copy over the, the prior virtual machine and you're good. But that, but I was curious about the, the virtualization through the internet kind of stuff that Rose is doing because I just don't think a lot of people realize that stuff's out there. And I think for a lot of people that can be the, the easy solution, especially like if you don't have enough room on your, your drive or you've got a, a computer like the MacBook Adorable that doesn't have a ton of processing power to run two operating systems at once. It's a great solution because, for example, um, Outlook, for people that have to use it, they probably know the Mac version is just not as good as the Windows version. You can only view three calendars next to each other um, at the same time if you're using the week view and things like that. And I, I just 
wanted to keep having that because I need that if I have to plan meetings because we use Exchange at work. But that works perfectly in my Windows Virtual Box and I can connect to that from my iPad. I've even connected to it with Microsoft Remote Desktop from my iPhone. I would not recommend it, but it does work if you need it to. <laughs> you got to have your magnifying glasses on at that point, right? <laughs> Definitely. So are there any other Macs in your life or is it just the, the MacBook Adorable? Uh, well, I recently sold my 13-inch MacBook Pro, which I had at home, and I'm now just using a 2011 Mac Mini server model as my desktop machine at home. Wow. So you, you had the 2016 MacBook Pro and got rid of it that quickly? Uh, no, 2013. Oh, MacBook 2013. Pro. I'm sorry. You see, I hear what I want yeah. to hear. <laughs> yes, I, I haven't upgraded to other new ones. I like the idea of them, but realistically, most things that I need to do nowadays at home can be done on iOS. So I have my 10.5 inch iPad Pro, which I absolutely love. And if I need the desktop, which I, I still do, then I've got my 2011 Mac Mini, which is still running strong. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by PDF Pen. PDF Pen is the ultimate tool for editing PDFs and going paperless. Click on the link in the show notes to learn more. PDF Pen has been my weapon of choice for managing, editing, and working with PDFs on the Mac, iPad, and iPhone for years now. And let me tell you, it's particularly useful in the new year. This is the time of year when people are thinking about things like taxes and year-end documents. And you're going to need to deal with PDF documents, especially if you're working with an accountant or even a lawyer. To do that job right, you're going to need a PDF tool where you can manage and organize them and even make appropriate adjustments to them. With PDF Pen, you can fill in forms, whether they're interactive or not. You can even add page numbers, which is really useful, so you can explain to your accountant why uh, page 32 exists. Uh, you can redact account numbers, and, and this is another real important thing, because you're going to have private data in those documents, like account numbers and your social security number. You don't want to put that in documents that are uh, banging around the internet, so go ahead and redact them. And the way PDF Pen redacts is very good. It just doesn't draw a black box over them, it actually removes the data from the file. Another great function in PDF Pen to help you with these year-end documents is OCR. Any document that you open in PDF Pen is going to get optical character recognition. That'll allow you to search the document, you can apply highlights, and just make it easier to work with the file. Now, if you really want to step it up for your accountant or your attorney, get PDF Pen Pro and create PDF portfolios. Those are collections of multiple PDFs and related files. They're great for presenting your documents and keeping everything together. Having PDF Pen in your toolbox is useful all year round, but it's especially useful at this time of year. Go click on the link in the show notes so you can check out PDF Pen. I bet you're going to love it and let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. Well, Rose, we were just getting into before the break your, your iPad. So tell us a little bit about your iOS gear. Well, uh, at the moment, I have an iPhone 10 and a 10.5-inch iPad Pro as my primary uh, iOS devices. I also have um, some other older iPhones running around because if you have multiple SIM cards, because you have lived in multiple countries, then an easy way to forward calls is to stick the SIM card in at the old iPhone and just leave it plugged in on your desk at home. I explain that to me. I'm sorry. Uh, this isn't something I have to deal with. So... Do you, do you have multiple iPhones with different numbers on it? How is that working? 
Yeah, so I have, um, I've actually got three iPhones because I've got my work phone number, I've got my personal phone number, and I still have my UK phone number from when I lived in the UK. And if they're on the same Wi-Fi network, then you have the feature where if your iPhone rings, your iPad can ring. But that feature works between iPhones as well, which means that if your one iPhone rings, the other iPhone rings. And to be honest, I rarely get phone calls on these two devices, but the SMS forwarding works as well. So that means that I can be sitting at work and somebody sends an SMS to my UK number and then I can text them back from my Austrian number and say, hi, you seem to have missed the fact that I have an Austrian telephone number now. Here it is, which is very useful. Now, now how reliable is that? Rock solid, providing the iPhones are charged. Good. That's good. You know, I never, it never occurred to me to do that, but I guess if you had multiple iPhones, why wouldn't it just treat it like it treats an iPad and, and move that stuff over? It works very, very well. How do you like the iPhone 10? Oh, I love it. It's really, really nice. I got it uh, a few days after launch. Uh, the launch day, unfortunately, I didn't manage to get one, but it's just worked so well ever since. I've had a couple of bugs with the iOS betas, which I've been running on it, but it's. I, I like the size of it. I liked the Plus phone, but it was too big, really. And now I have the Plus phone, but it's smaller. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I've been using a Plus phone for several years as well. And I'm not sure I'm going to go, you know, if next year they come out with an iPhone 10 type phone that's bigger, I'm not sure I'm going to get it because I, I really do like the, the existing size of the iPhone 10. And it, the screen is big enough you know, for me. Um, and you said you had the iPhone Pro, iPad Pro 10.5-inch. Uh, yes, yes, I do. So I previously had the first 12.9-inch iPad Pro. I got it probably six months after it came out, and I was using that while I was doing my studies. And honestly, that's the best computer I've ever had for doing my studies. And I, I do mean computer with that because I could do practically everything I needed to do on it um, as a student, and it was wonderful. Um, but then when I started working full-time, the 12.9-inch iPad would stay at home because it was too big to take to work. And I had an iPad Mini 4, which would go to work. But then if I needed an iPad, it was really a bit small. So I, I sold both of them, and I've now got my 10.5-inch iPad Pro, which goes most places with me. Now, do you miss the, the size of the 12.9-inch at any point now that you've, you've gone to the smaller one? Yes, because I've recently started studying for a master's degree and I really, really miss the 12.9 inch for reading PDFs and typing notes at the same time and all of those things. So I, I'm, I'm debating whether or not I should trade in the 10.5 and upgrade to the 12.9 or go back to the multi-pad lifestyle, which I know Katie is probably giving me a scary <laughs> look right now. No, no, no. Hey, if you need it and it works, go go for it. Because it sounds like you, you truly have replaced you know, a, a laptop computer at home with, with your iPads. Yes, yes, I absolutely have. I, you know, it's it's interesting for me. I kept the 12.9. I, I considered selling it, but really the value isn't that high. And I figured for what I could get for it, selling it, I would just keep it. And I do use it for like, uh, play, like sheet music. It's so much nicer to have sheet music bigger, especially when you're an old man like me. And the, uh, uh, I also use it quite often next to my I, iMac, uh, kind of like a secondary screen. So there's uses for it, but I, I get that. I mean, generally going out on the road, the 10.5 feels like almost the perfect size. If someone was just going to get one, I think that's that's probably the one you get. Now, you you also said you have the fast charger. 
Yes. So I, I have the 29 watt fast charger because when you've been using your iPad more than you expected to use it, and then you realize you're down to 12% battery left and it's only six o'clock and you've still got a lot of work to do, just being able to plug it in with the 29 watt charger, it's really, really useful. And that works on my iPhone as well now, which is brilliant. Yeah, that's nice. That's any other Apple gear? In your life? Yeah, yeah. I've got an Apple Watch Series 2, the sport model. I really wanted to get the Series 3 in cellular, but unfortunately in Austria, we don't get cellular Apple Watches at the moment. So apparently it might be coming, but there's no official announcement from Apple on that at the moment, which is quite sad. Katie, where are you with your Series 3 watch? I haven't heard from you on that in a while. I haven't. Um, I'm wearing it every day, just like I did my old Apple Watch. I handed down my Series Zero watch to my mom, who loves it. So that's been a, a good upgrade because um, her, her having an Apple Watch has benefits to me as well. Um, but I tell you, I, I never activated the uh, cellular on it. And I, I haven't missed it all. But it's it's fast. It's got great battery life. Pretty much every time I put it on the charger at the end of the night, I, I still have 70% or more battery life left out of it. Yeah, I, I sleep with mine on and, you know, the battery life is just so much better now than it used to be. I I can't get over it. You know, I, I put it in the charger every day for like a half hour in the morning while I'm, you know, getting ready and taking my shower. And then I'll put it on for a half hour in the evening as I'm doing something or another. And that's enough to keep it charged. Um, Daisy uh, had the Series Zero, and she was running into a lot of problems with the battery dying for her in the afternoon. She goes to the gym, and by like 3 or 4 o'clock, she was starting to get warnings of the battery going. So so for her birthday, we got her a Series 3 non-cellular, and that thing is uh, that thing's a beast. She goes to bed, and it's like at 80%. So uh, they've come a long way with battery life. Uh, how is the battery life on the, the Series 2, Rose? It's great. I wear mine as well when I'm I'm sleeping. I use auto sleep and auto wake so that I get a nice alarm clock in the morning when I'm supposed to be waking up according to my body. At least that's what the app says. Um, and it it's great. I put it on the charger in the morning for maybe half an hour or so. And I usually put it on around about nine o'clock in the evening just to make sure that it's definitely fully charged and it's really nice when you you know share a bed with someone to have your alarm because it's silent it just taps your wrist to wake you up and that way your alarm goes off you can get up early and get out of the room without bothering the other person i i really like it um so i'm i'm a full-time guy that wears his watch to bed now um and uh and then you've got some other stuff let's talk for a minute about sound you've got a um a Sonos One, right? You just bought one of those new Sonos Ones. Yeah, yeah, I did. It's actually the first smart speaker I've ever had. Um, I did previously look at the Amazon Echoes and the Google Homes, and I didn't wasn't really sure about it because I wanted a good speaker. And then Sonos came out with the Sonos One, and unfortunately, my boyfriend's an Android user, which means I need mm. something that can go across platforms. So I I like the idea of the HomePod, but having an Android user in the house as well, it would be nice if it's something that can also integrate with services that he uses. So I went for the Sonos One, and I actually really, really like it. It's a really solid speaker. I think he must be really special, Rose, because he's Android and you still kept him. So, I mean, there must be some really great advantage to this guy. 
Yeah, well, he, he's very nice. He buys me a lot of chocolates, so that's definitely. Well, there you go. There you go. That works. So, so now the uh, the Sonos One is the new one that Sonos makes that integrates the Amazon Echo services. I won't say the word, everybody. At least I'll try not to. Um, is this the first time you've had experience with that? Yeah, yeah, it is. So I, I'd never had that before. I didn't actually even know anybody with it. So the closest I'd come to trying it was going into one of these big media stores that they have here that sell these iPads and so on and pressing the buttons and it reads the hello person in the box, please do X, Y, Z for you. And then it does X, Y, Z, which is not at all the same as actually having it. But Sonos have a pretty good returns policy as well. So I thought if I really don't like it... I can send it back. Uh, and I didn't. <laughs> I kept it. So. Good. So so what do you like about it? It's just really good sound. So the, uh, we live in a relatively small apartment and we only have one Sonos One at the moment. Um, but the, it does fill the room pretty well with the music. And it's very nice. I try, I'm trying the Spotify premium at the moment. And the ability to be listening to it on your phone and then from the Spotify app, say, instead of sending it to my AirPods or my headphones, send it to the Sonos. It's really, really nice. And that just integrates very well. Yeah. And, and once you get a couple more, because Sonos do multiply in your home, it'll get even better because you'll be able to really fill the house with sound uh, from the app. The um, Now, have you done the voice control much where you start music or say play certain kind of music and it just starts rolling for you? Yeah, so you in the um, in the Amazon's Lady in the Box application, I won't say the name either in case I trigger it. Um, then you can set your default music provider, which I've set to Spotify. And so if I say, "Hey, lady, play X Y Z music," then she'll play X Y Z music for me, which is really nice. And that works really well. And I use it a lot for timers when I'm cooking, actually. I didn't think I would. But being able to set multiple named timers when you're cooking is so useful. So you have your Sonos somewhere centrally located in your kitchen where, where you can use it. That seems to be a very popular place. Yeah, it is. So the the way our apartment's set up is the kitchen is only partially divided off from the rest of it, which means that if I speak loudly from there, then the Sonos can still hear me, which works very, very well. Now, I looked at the Sonos one, and I think the deal might still be going on, but when the HomePod was first released, they had a deal where you could pick up two Sonos ones for the price of the Apple HomePod, and they were kind of taunting Apple a little bit, which which was about a $50 discount on a pair, but a reasonable discount, not a, not a huge discount. But there there's still some things on the Sonos one that can't compare to the HomePod or really to the Echo. I mean, it's, it is not a Bluetooth speaker. And it doesn't have support at this point uh, for for AirPlay 2, but supposedly it's coming. Well, in fairness, Apple hasn't released AirPlay 2. <laughs> I was going to I was going to get to that. Um, but it also doesn't um, have any kind of line line import. So how are you finding the, the ecosystem? Are you are you finding it difficult to get your content to the speaker? Because that was one of my my holdups. Yeah, so the the thing that I'm really missing at the moment is overcast integration. And Marco Arment actually said on Twitter that from his side, he's basically got everything ready. But what he doesn't get is uh, the correct feedback from the overcast API when a podcast finishes playing, I believe. So he can't actually implement that because otherwise, the how far you've played in the podcast 
doesn't sync back to him, which of course, if you then want to pick up on another device, wouldn't work. So that's the only thing I'm missing really at the moment. But I'm hoping that when AirPlay 2 comes, and they do have a sign up open for that at the moment, um, so that you can get notified when AirPlay arrives, um, then hopefully I can just AirPlay 2 to my Sonos and it will work from that perspective. And maybe they'll even do the Siri kit API so that Marco can then say, allow us to say, hey, Apple's device, please play XYZ from Overcast on my Sonos speaker, which would be really nice. Yeah, I, I don't hold your breath for that because I think that requires Apple to approve that. I'm not sure they're ever going to get there. I, but, I don't think they will because then if they do that, then it also opens up the framework for Spotify and other competing music providers, which... Mm, well, we'll see. I, you know, I really don't know if that's the that's the case. I know that's kind of the general belief that Apple is is not putting Spotify into Siri Kit for competitive reasons because they also have this music service. But they would also sell a lot of devices, a lot of their own HomePod devices, if they had it available. I was talking to a guy last year at WWDC who said. Um, setting up an audio framework for Siri is actually quite difficult because there's so many different audio files and you have to have a, an active index. And he was trying to explain it to me. And I honestly didn't understand the whole thing, but, but it, it may be something that is just, I, you know, I just wouldn't, well, you may be right. I'm not saying you're not right. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if we get to WWDC this year or next year and Apple says, okay, now we have an integration for Siri and audio apps like podcasts and music streamers. I, I don't I don't necessarily think this is a, a forever kind of situation, whereas uh, putting Siri on other manufacturers' devices is a thing where I think Apple's is never going to do that, in my opinion. Um, they'll, they'll give AirPlay 2 to Sonos, but they'll never let you have Siri built into Sonos like uh, Amazon did with Alexa. Ah, did it. Sorry, guys. That does make sense. I think I, my thoughts with Apple potentially not providing Siri kit for audio, audio would be more that something then immediately starts coming out of your device as a result of this, and they can't necessarily control what that is. So, for example, if a four-year-old asks for something and it ends up being explicit content, then I could see a lot of parents getting very upset about that, even though technically the blame wouldn't be on Apple, it would be on Spotify or whoever's providing it. So, yeah. The, uh, so just a brief comparison. We, I don't want to take over the show, but I, I will we'll be talking about the HomePod uh, next week. Uh, I have a HomePod, and I've, I've been using it as we record the show for a day, and uh, I really like it. I mean, there's a lot to like about it. There's, it. It's certainly, most of the stuff you heard about it is true. The sound is amazing. Honestly, I, I put it right next to a Sonos One. I guess you call it, it's the Sonos One without the Amazon Echo support. I think they still called it the One before they did that. I think it's the um, Play One instead of just the One. The Play One, that's it. And and in my mind, there's really no question that the, the HomePod sounds better. Um, but the, uh, but the, you know, the Siri integration even with Apple's own device is limited. And most of it's just fine because the kinds of things I use um, the voice in the can stuff for is like checking the weather and running the news in the morning and setting uh, basic timers and alarms. And, and I because I'm an Apple Music subscriber, uh, I just love driving music with my voice. So it, it really checks all the boxes for me. And that way there's a bunch of limitations. Like there's only one timer. And the one that gets me, and I'll talk about this more next week, is it doesn't, 
this doesn't have my calendar data. I mean, it seems like the most natural thing to ask when my next appointment is. And she says, sorry, I don't have your calendar data. <laughs> so, I mean, come on, Apple. I, my phone can do that. Why can't my voice in a can thing do it? So, Well, and, and the Amazon Echo can do that. It can connect to your iCloud calendar data. Yeah. So, uh, so there's some, there's definite limitations, but in terms of, you know, the Apple cell saying we made a really great speaker, they did make a really great speaker. And I would recommend listening to one, getting to an Apple store. It's just throughout the spectrum. It, it sounds a lot better. It, it really fills a room. Now, if I had two Sonos play ones, would those sound better than one, um, uh, Amazon um, than one, uh, home pod? Maybe, I don't know. And apparently that's the same price, but but it really sounds great. And if, if you've got Apple Music, it's I think that's really the sweet spot for it. So Rose has got some some other other fun stuff. I know you've you've got you're big into the um, Apple world, but you've, you've got some other fun gadgets. How have you been um, doing with the whole uh, powering and, and keeping all your gadgets charged and and connected? I know you've you've gone to the to the higher power wattage, but is that your everyday charger, or are you always plugged into the USB C? Because that can be kind of limiting. Uh, no, so I I do use it, but it's uh, that's the my twenty nine watt USB C charger is the one that's plugged in by the sofa. So if I'm sitting there in the evening and I realize oh I'm low on battery, but I'm I'm still using my device, then I plug it in there so that it can charge up at a decent speed while I'm using it. Overnight, I've just got a standard, I think it's from Orkey, five-port USB-A charger, which has got five USB-A ports on it. And I've just got a bunch of cables plugged into there where things tend to plug in overnight. Um, if I'm on the road, then I've got one of these Anchor PowerPort Plus, which is a five-port charger. One of the ports is USB-C, and it does USB-C power delivery, which is really good if I'm traveling with my work MacBook or if I'm traveling with the iPad Pro so that I can fast charge them. But uh, nowadays, I mostly charge my iPhone with the new Qi charging, which is really nice. I really like that. That's one of the big surprises for me is I thought it was kind of gimmicky. I never thought that I would be interested in, in Qi charging. But I will tell you, that is that is my preferred way to charge my, my iPhone now. I just something about losing that little bit of friction has has really gone a long way. Hey, you don't have to line it up on a cord. You just drop it in the drop it on the charger and you're good. I find it so good at work as well. If you've got lots of meetings and you've been using your phone, then when you get back to your desk, you just drop it down and you don't need to think about it. You've just put it down and it's charging and you run off. There's no, where did the back of the cable go? The, okay. And now, right, line it up with my phone, plug it in, all while still talking to somebody and thinking about the 8,001 things that you now have to deal with. You just put it down and you get on with life. It's really nice. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by OmniFocus, and I want to talk a little bit about OmniFocus for iOS. Did you know that OmniFocus for iOS brings the in-depth task management of a full-featured desktop application right to your fingertips? If you are ready to give your task management a revamp for the new year, there has never been a better time to try OmniFocus, because you can now download OmniFocus for iOS free. That's right. OmniFocus for iOS, you can download for free and use for a two-week free trial in the Mac App Store because OmniFocus Standard and Pro are now available as in-app purchases 
with discounts available for OmniFocus One and Legacy Edition customers. So OmniFocus for iOS is a trusted system that gives you everything you need for managing your busy life. You can keep track of tasks by project, by place, by person, by date. You'll always have the information you need at hand. Something as simple as a shopping list or something as complicated as managing your business, you can handle it all with OmniFocus. OmniFocus includes tools like perspectives to let you see your work in a variety of ways, a review feature that lets you stay on top of projects and goals, custom view options so you can change what you're looking at on the fly, and even an option to let you know what you have coming up on any given day so you can stay right on top of your priorities. And you'll never lose a thing because OmniFocus has the ability to allow you to quickly enter data from wherever you are, where that's through their quick entry tools, using Siri, or sharing information from a variety of sources. OmniFocus is going to make sure that you have the data that you need easily at hand. And of course, OmniFocus was built for iOS 11. They use features like drag and drop, Siri integration, uh, multitasking, hardware keyboard support, and a whole lot more. So if you've been wanting to up your task management game, there's never been a better time. Head over to the App Store and download your free trial of OmniFocus today. And you might want to pick up a Max Barkey Field Guide while you're at it so that you can learn all about using your new task management system. So thanks to Omni Group and the kind folks who make OmniFocus for their support of Mac Power users. So, Rose, you have gotten quite a reputation uh, in the Facebook group of being able to help everybody with all of their automation problems. And you've you've kindly created workflow scripts, and I'm not trying to volunteer you for any work or or anything like that. But but tell me how this all came about. Um, How how did you become Rose the Automator? Um, I'm a nerd and I don't like to do things more than once unless I really have to. So if there's something that I have to repeat even just a few times, I tend to try and look for an easy way to repeat that action automatically. So for example, if my payslips get downloaded into the downloads folder, I don't want to have to find the file, rename the file, and then file the file, and then possibly change it into a different format if it's downloaded as a Word document versus as a PDF. So I just always look for opportunities to automate things. And I started by playing with Automator originally on the Mac. And I've just progressed from there. So what are your what are your tools of, of choice right now? And if you can give us a couple of examples of, of how you're using them that, that people might be able to incorporate into their own workflow. So you said it it started with Automator. Are you still using Automator? Because it, it seems like there's not a whole lot of although Automator is, is still a tool that works, it doesn't seem like it's progressing that much now. I occasionally use Automator, um, but I tend not to bother so much anymore because almost everything that you can do in Automator and I think even more, um, really, the, with the basic tools can still be done in Keyboard Maestro. And Keyboard Maestro is definitely one of my weapons of choice. It is a Swiss army knife in the world of automation because you can do so many things with it. Well, one of my favorite things to do is read the release notes every time he makes an update to Keyboard Maestro because he finds so many new ways to like get hooks into reading what the status of your system is or create triggers. And he finds so many ways to create new actions. Just reading the release notes in Keyboard Maestro, you come up with automation ideas. At least I do. Yeah. And the documentation for it is so solid as well. So for every action in Keyboard Maestro, if you right click on it, then you can get help and then you see the full documentation. And this is not just three lines about this action. This is 
full with screenshots, with examples, everything. And I, I love it because they've got this little tool that lives in the menu bar. And if I'm in Finder, for example, then I have the option to rename files in a certain format, which matches what we need to upload into the wiki at work. Um, or I, if I'm in MindNode, then it will export the file that I'm in as an image and as a PDF for me, things like that. It's, it's really useful that just that the menu bar, even you don't even have to get into keyboard shortcuts and things. Yeah. One of the, one of the, um, the automations you mentioned that I think everybody listening could use is the idea of creating a file structure for new projects. Um, oh yes. I mean, yeah. so explain that one a little bit. So, um, most of my new projects at work follow the same kind of structure. There would be a documentation folder. There's a tools folder where, um, scripts that are only for internal use go. There would be a web folder, which is where the publicly accessible, uh, files go, things like that. And I have used Keyboard Maestro to basically automate all of this. So it asks me, what is the name of the project and who is the project for? Because in my documentation folder, I have a text file, which has lots of this information and it creates this structure for me, dumps some text files in there. It puts some even PHP files in there for me and gets the whole thing started, which is really, really nice. If you have projects that even just have a similar structure, they don't need to have identical structures, then you can do all of that, which is really, really nice. Yeah, and everybody's got that at work at some place where they have to create, they have a new project, they have to create a series of folders. And and Rose has gone to the next step with, with populating the folders. I, I have the folder creation macro, but I just created it in Automator years ago, and I've never bothered to move it over to Keyboard Maestro. But um, the same thing, you know, every time you open a new file, you click a button, and... Um, and it's interesting when you get good at this stuff, like I'm, I'm right now struggling with the idea of bringing on some additional virtual assistants, but a lot of the stuff I do, I've automated it so much that I can do it myself using automation as fast as I can tell somebody else to do it for me. And uh, that's when it gets interesting, right? Yeah, you are your own virtual assistant by yeah. virtue of automation. <laughs> <laughs> you, also, you also use Hazel, right? Yes, yes, I do. So the example I mentioned earlier with the payslips, uh, Hazel watches my downloads folder. She doesn't just watch it for payslips. She watches it for receipts, um, for pictures, things like that. And they automatically get filed off to certain folders. I have a special folder in Dropbox called Automate This, and it contains subfolders. And depending on what subfolder a file gets put into, Hazel works its magic. So for example, with um, PDF Pen Pro and one of Hazy, uh, Katie's sorry, fabulous Apple scripts, I actually have it OCR any PDF files that get dropped into there, which is so useful if you're on the go and you need this PDF OCR'd and you don't have a, an app installed on your iPhone that can do that. There are apps out there that can do it, but just being able to stick it in there and have it automatically sorted out is really useful. Yeah, the, the OCR on iOS has gotten a lot better the last couple of years. There's several apps now that can do it, and it used to be pretty rare. Um, and then on iOS, you do, you're doing a lot of um, automation as well. Um, we talked a little bit about workflow, but but tell us just a couple of your favorite workflows that you've created lately and give give the folks some ideas of what they can do. Well, this is actually an example I stole from you, David, on the Free Agents podcast. You and uh, Jason were talking about uh, how if you are unwell, also having a pre-written message that says to people, 
sorry, I'm not very well at the moment. Um, I need you to handle this for me and I will be available again on X date, for example. I heard this and I thought, ah, because I am from the UK, but I live in Austria, which means that the primary language I speak day to day now is German. However, I'm still English, which means that if I'm not very well, thinking in German is sometimes beyond me. So I took a day when I was well and I pre-wrote these messages that say, that say, for example, I'm not very well today. I'm not going to be able to make it into the office. And it and this script asks me if I'm unwell and if I think I'm just going to be unwell today or if I'm unwell and I'm going to the doctors or if I'm well again. And depending on that, it sends an email to the correct person at work and it generates an out-of-office uh, email for a uh, text for me that I can just paste into the Outlook app so that it will automatically reply to people to say, hi, sorry, I'm out of the office at the moment. You know, here's when I'll be back. You could even have it create a calendar entry on the office Outlook calendar if you're if you're connected. I would do that, but I've actually created a script which synchronizes between a central database at work where all of our absences are input and it inputs everything into our calendars at work automatically for us. Of course, Rose Orchard is ahead of me already. Of course. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a service that we offer to our department. So we, we synchronize from the central holiday and a sickness database to our exchange calendars. Nice. That's nice. What, what are some of your other uh, favorite uh, workflows? Uh, I do a lot of things with uh, manipulating text. So, for example, if I have a list of items that somebody sent me and they need to be in alphabetical order, I have a workflow which is very simple. It just splits the text into new lines, it sorts them alphabetically, and it spits it back as one piece of text at the end. Um, and clocking in and clocking out at work as well is something that I can also do via workflow because we have a, a system set up at work where you can clock in and out with a script. So I use that via Wordplay. I've got this one when we set up a new show where it goes in and it, it creates the uh, the OmniFocus uh, template project. You know, I've got a whole list of things that are related to every show we publish. It's like 10 items. And then it goes and it makes the calendar entry in my calendar. And then it goes into Ulysses and writes the, the basic text for the blog post that I put up on the website when it's done. And I was thinking about, because I was watching it run the other day, I don't know necessarily that I'd be able to do all three apps. Maybe I could do it with Keyboard Master, but I don't know that I could do something that easy on the Mac. And it was one of the first times I realized automation in some ways can be better on iOS than it can be on the Mac. Well, with URL schemes, iOS has become very powerful. I don't know if it was ever really envisioned that way of how powerful it could become. But Oh, no, I, I know for a fact it was not envisioned. <laughs> this is something we did to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's it's just become one of those things. If I, if I just want something and it would be very complicated to do it by hand, frequently I find nowadays I reach my iPad and workflow. I don't automatically open my my programming editor at work and write a script for it I, I i go for workflow first which is kind of amazing really yeah well i was talking earlier how i keep the 12.9 inch ipad on a stand next to my ipad i mean next to my imac and that's because i'm reaching over all the time to activate workflows to to create projects and do different things it's it really is it, it without thinking about it it can take over in a lot of ways but but I know you also do stuff uh, with OmniFocus. I'm assuming you're doing project template type stuff with OmniFocus. Yeah, lots of project templates. So um, I, it's most of it starts with workflow, and I 
for my studies, I have a series of assignments that I have to complete for every course. So at the start of the course, once I've got the dates for the said assignments, I open Workflow and I run a workflow. It asks me how many assignments, then it asks me what the due date is for each assignment. It asks me how many parts there are for each assignment. Um, uh, how many, how much each part is worth and what the total word count is. And it creates a series of OmniFocus tasks saying for assignment one, part one worth 30%, you need to write 500 words, for example. And it dumps all of that into OmniFocus for me. And it puts it in as a due date in my calendar as well, which is really, really nice. I mean, that stuff is so powerful. I covered it in the OmniFocus video field guide and I get emails from people just all over the world that are using it for like anything that you do that you have to do over and over again. I got an email from a guy who does a bunch of employee reviews and he's templated the whole thing out. So it just takes care of it or somebody that does sales project. I mean, no matter what repetitive task you have, you can turn it into a template and then you just push a button on your iPad or your iPhone and it creates the project. It's, I don't know. I, I think I have more tasks created in OmniFocus at this point via template than I do manual entry. I'm pretty certain I do. And this year, Omni Group in their year roadmap said that OmniJS, which is their um, automation language, is coming to OmniFocus as well, which I am really looking forward to. I'm kind of friends with some of the, like Sal, who's been on our show, is the guy who helped them come up with that. And then Ken, the guy who runs Omni Group. I have uh, been making the pitch for that for a long time, <laughs> let's just say, because uh, I feel like of all the things they're doing with that automation stuff, OmniFocus is the one that makes the most sense, where we can build tools and share them with each other. And, and talking about that, uh, so let's take it to the next level. So a lot of folks listening have tried Workflow and are using it, but you've gone another step. You've gone to Pythonista, which is an app for iOS that, that allows you to write Python scripts that can be executed on the iPad and iPhone. Um, so how hard is it to get into that? And what are the kinds of things people can do with it once they learn it? Well, difficulty-wise, it is more difficult than Workflow. Workflow has the advantage of the the programming is Lego blocks. And if you tap on the icon in the top left of any Workflow action, it tells you what it's expecting and what it's giving you back. With Python Easter, you need to learn Python, uh, which is not that hard to do. And there are some really, really good example scripts that you get with Python Easter. So, for example, you get an example game called Brick Breaker, which if you play it, then it goes through and it it shows you everything and then you can go back and you can look at the code so if you're happy to sit down and do a little bit of work before you get really digging into this then it's 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 really good fun to get into it i have to say yeah and there's some really great online resources uh, to learn python there's some um um there's some like interactive web stuff that doesn't cost anything it, it's not that hard if you're if you're interested in this stuff, and if you gave it a day, you could probably get a lot of, especially if you're used to using workflow and kind of understand the idea of programming concepts, you know, a day or two, I think you could you could be making something. I, I, I like to think of it sometimes as a hobby. I mean, it, certainly it's, it's going to be hard to get that time back if you're looking just on a pure automation. Am I getting a return on investment kind of thing? But uh, if you're a nerd and you're listening to our show, you might be. Uh, this would be something that'd be fun for you. And I, I think there's going to be a lot of utility to this stuff going forward. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, Pythonista is really good because it's got a lot of the standard Python extensions or utilities already built in, which means that you don't need to download packages and install them, which for a lot of people that, you know, that would be the point where they would be like, oh, I have to use the terminal to install Python 3 and I have to install packages. What is all of this? That's too much work. Start with Python Easter because it's already got all of the basics that you need. And that's, that's really nice. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Uh, another app that's really popular for automation type things is is drafts. And I know you're using that one as well. Oh, yeah. I use drafts a lot. So um, drafts four, which is the currently available version. Um, I've got a lot of actions programmed in there. So for example, um, the the blogging platform that I use, use uh, has a YAML markup at the start, which is a special kind of markup language and it needs to have certain formatting. It generates that and dumps it in to the, the current draft for me at the top things like that. Um, the the markdown buttons are really, really useful, being able to turn something into a link or a header automatically without remembering which is, what, which, which is the markup for italics versus bold again. Which way around was it? Was it one star or two stars? You know, I don't need to think about that, which is really, really nice. And Drafts 5 is coming. Yeah, know, and the, the fundamental sell for me on Drafts has always been, it's the app where you can tap the icon and then just start typing or dictating and getting text into your phone. And for some reason, I know that it's not that many more steps to open a new note in Apple Notes or whatever, but for some reason, it's just that 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 simplicity of getting text in. And then Greg has, of course, added all these tools that allow you to do stuff with the text after it's already in, but well, just capturing text fast. And, and if you're an Apple Watch user, uh, I think the drafts complication is one of the best complications on the Apple Watch because, you know, most of them try to do too much. All drafts does is you tap the drafts um, complication and then the microphone goes hot and you talk to your watch and it captures your text. It's, it's just the same simplicity. And uh, that's that's one of my favorite complications as a result. Rose, you've covered a lot of automation tools. You've obviously tweaked your setup over time. If someone is looking to get started and is looking just to simplify their life a little bit and, and maybe they have a repeating task they're looking to automate, where, where do you think uh, so that they don't get auto overwhelmed is a good place to start? If they're on iOS, I would definitely say workflow because you can you can drag and drop things around and you don't need to think about code. And if, as I said before, if you tap the little icon in the top left-hand um, corner of any workflow action block, it literally tells you everything about it, which is really useful. And if you're looking to do something similar on the Mac, Keyboard Maestro, because again, the, the documentation is there. And in, in both cases, Workflow, they have a subreddit on Reddit where lots of people go there and discuss, or in the Mac Power Users Facebook group, there's lots of threads dedicated to Workflow. And if you post in the right thread, I will happily help you out. Um, but yeah, and Keyboard Maestro has got a really good forum as well, where there's lots of examples and the people there are really friendly and welcoming as well, which means that if you get stuck, there, there are people out there who can, will, can and will help you. They want to help you. So. And the interesting thing on the Mac is I feel like Keyboard Maestro can almost be a starting and ending point for most people. I mean, uh, you know, you may want, assume you don't go down the rabbit hole of, of writing, you know, programs, but if you just want to be an automation fiend on your Mac, Keyboard Maestro is going to do just about anything you want it to do once you figure it out. 
And in Keyboard Maestro, you can even include Apple scripts and Bash scripts, which are scripts that run on the command line as well, which is very, very powerful. And you don't need to leave Keyboard Maestro to do that. And then a good place to start in terms of I think it would be just what kind of problem is it that you want to solve? Is it what is something that you're doing on a daily basis over and over and over again? Yeah, I, I find the easiest problems to solve for me are text-based problems. So, I mean, obviously, if, if you're solving a text-based problem on a Mac, you're probably going to want to start with Text Expander because that's very, very simple and easy and it works. Um, but on iOS, the built-in keyboard uh, extensions or the ex expansions, sorry, aren't quite as good or as powerful. And for example, if you need to send an email to lots of different people and each person, the date needs to be increased by one week, for example, then you can, you can do that so easily with just a few variables and a block of text and for example, Workflow and even Keyboard Maestro will dispatch the email for you. So you write it once, it goes through the list of people, and it just sends everything off to them. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Fracture. Visit Fracture.me and save 15% off your first Fracture order with the exclusive code POWER15. That's one word with no space, POWER15, and you get 15% off. We've all got a problem, and that's that Apple keeps making these iPhones with better cameras and better sensors, and we're getting these great pictures, and we don't do anything with them. It's fun to look at photos on your phone or your iPad, but when's the last time you got one printed and put it on the wall? It's probably been a while, and I know why. It's a big pain in the neck. you got to get it printed somewhere you can trust. You've got to find the right frame. It's just a lot of work. Fracture is the photo decor company that prints your photos directly onto glass and they add a laser cut rigid backing so they're ready to display right out of the box. They even include the wall anchor. Just upload your digital photo and pick your size. It's that simple. The Fracture process makes the color and contrast of your photo really pop and the sleek frameless design lets your photos stand out while matching any decorating style. Fracture prints make thoughtful and unique gifts. The next time you want to get something special for someone in your life, get them a Fracture print. They'll love you for it. Because they're so easy to set up, I've got several Fracture prints that I rotate in my house throughout the year, depending on the season. I love the way they look, and I also love the fact that I can move them to different rooms and it doesn't matter because they're frameless. Like I said, they'll match any decor. The Fractures are handmade in Gainesville, Florida from U.S. source materials, and Fracture is a green company operating a carbon-neutral factory. I love Fracture because with Fracture, the whole problem of getting your pictures out of your phone and onto your wall is just solved. Just log in, upload your photos, and you're done. And best of all, we can get you 15% off. Just go to Fracture.me and say 15% off your first Fracture order with the exclusive code POWER15. That's no space. And also, don't forget to select the Mac Power users in their one-question survey. It helps support the show. Rose, how do you have time to do all the amazing things you're doing and help us so much with the Facebook group? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Um, well, I tend to use the Pomodoro technique, which for people who aren't familiar with it means that you work for a fixed period of time and then you take a short break and then you go back to what you were doing. So when I'm taking my short break, I get up, I wander around, I get a glass of water and I check on the Facebook group, which means I'm in there usually once an hour or more um, because... There are people in there are just really, really lovely. And it's it's nice. 
I really, I really have to agree. And I've always, most Facebook groups I've ever been associated with aren't that nice. And uh, I I feel like you are the the sole reason for that because you are so good about helping us keep out the, uh, the people that aren't so nice. Uh, And and so if someone out there is listening and they're going to set up a Facebook group, what are, what's some good tips to help uh, them have a safe and friendly Facebook group? Well, I mean, if Katie's got her battleth around, that's probably going to help it be safe. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, true. I, I'm, I'm not kidding because uh, somebody in the... So when you apply to the Map Power Users Facebook group for the people that haven't done it yet, there's a couple of questions that you need to answer before we'll let you in. And somebody actually wrote in there, Katie, the battleth Floyd. They got yeah. approved, by the way. <laughs> I, I, I thought that... Yeah, I thought that was brilliant. Um, so yeah, having that's a good tip to start off with because it wasn't initially that we we knew that we wanted a closed Facebook group and and not closed because we wanted to exclude people, but closed because if if we ended up with spammers or something like that in the group, we wanted to be able to boot them out so that they couldn't get back in again. And uh, what we what we found is we were getting we were having to make these really judgment calls of, of people by just looking at their profiles and saying, do, do we think that this is a real person? I, I, I don't know if this is a real person or if it's a bot. I, I'm not really sure. So Rose came up with the idea of, well, let's just make them ask some and ask them some very, very basic questions that anybody who listens to the podcast will know the answer to. And if they can answer the questions, they get in. And if they can't, they don't. Yeah, so the the questions are definitely a, a really big help there because it's very obvious. I mean, some people have written some very rude things, let's just say, in the answers to the question. And it's just like, well, you don't know the answer to the question and you're clearly not a very nice person. So no. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and as the, as the group got more popular, I mean, it's in the thousands it even attracts, it becomes even more of an attractive target to spammers. So it's like the job, as you get successful, the job gets harder in some ways because they they come in bigger groups now. But at the same time, the two of you have managed to build this great community of people who all feel like they know each other. And if somebody spots some spam, it's usually, in my experience, reported within a couple of minutes of it being posted in the group because the people actually care about the group. And if people care about the group, then they're not going to come in and just self-promote and do things like that. And they they will report things that they see that they don't feel are appropriate. Or if they're in doubt, then they'll message somebody. I know I've had some people message me before they've posted something going, is it okay to post this here? Because I don't want to make anybody upset or anything. And, you know, if if people actually care, that makes a big difference to how a Facebook group works. If it's a community, it will feel better. Yeah, it, it, and it is great. I, I enjoy it. And it's just, I have so much fun anytime I interact with any of our listeners. I was talking to Sean Blanc yesterday, uh, who's a guy who writes on the internet and a real smart guy. And he, he's been on our show once or twice over the years. And he was telling me to this day, he still gets people reaching out to him that discover him through our show. And he says, our listeners are the nicest people of anyone who ever contacts him. <laughs> and I think he really meant that genuinely. And I, I feel like we have a very special thing here with the, with our listeners and, uh, and the Facebook group is a nice extension of that, but, but really it wouldn't be as good as it was without all the work you're doing. So we, we really do appreciate it. Thank you. So, uh, so how does Mac, uh, we've been talking kind of about how you're doing so much autom- automation on iOS and, but you make a, you know, you're paying for your shoes, uh, doing stuff with the Mac and, and writing programs. Um, where do you see the balance between Mac and iOS today and in the future? 
Well, it really depends on what you're doing. So there are some things which can only be done on a Mac. So for example, programming iOS applications at the moment can only be done on a Mac. So the, the balance is, is very much drawn between what you want to do and what you need to do and whether or not that's possible. So somebody who likes to play a lot of games Maybe they can't do that at the moment on iOS. That said, Civilization VI is available on iOS, so the games are coming, which is really nice. For me, it's, yeah, iOS is starting to take over. That's definite. I, I think I think I agree that in a lot of ways there's stuff going on on iOS that's just kind of fun to learn about. Uh, as a nerd, I'm always looking, I want to learn more stuff. And, and there's just a lot of action on iOS about learning and, and it's evolution going on right now, whereas the Mac is very stable. Um, uh, I, I don't think you need to pick one or the other. I mean, that's a mistake. I think you can do both, and it's fine. Uh, in fact, on the Facebook, I guess I guess I should qualify that. Someone on the Facebook group was crit- critical of me, saying, well, you say that, but then we have to buy two devices if you want to do that. And and I understand that. And if you can only afford one, then you got to make that decision, which is the right one for you. But if you can't afford both, um, then then don't feel bad about it, I guess, is is the position I would take. Yeah. I mean, for me, iOS is just, it's easy. I don't need to think about it. I don't need to do any maintenance. An iPad is a great device. Like My grandmother is living the multi-pad lifestyle. I'm not kidding. Uh, she doesn't listen to the podcast, but my grandmother is living the multi-pad lifestyle because it's easy and it works for her at her level, but it also works for me at a higher level, which is great. I, I need a little bit more explanation on your grandmother's multi-pad lifestyle though. My grandmother uh, likes iPads, so she she used to have to deal with Windows computers, which is what my grandfather had, and she didn't like it. It was slow and it was old, and she could go and make a cup of tea and drink the cup of tea and come back, and it still wouldn't have started up. And there were just too many problems. So we got her an original iPad, and she fell in love. That was it. This is the device for her. And nowadays she has an iPad Air 2 and an iPad Mini 4. The iPad Mini 4 is the coffee shop iPad that she takes with her when she goes shopping into the supermarket or to the coffee shop. And the iPad Air 2 lives at home. It's very similar to your two iPad Pros, David, only a bit smaller and not quite as powerful. But Yeah, yeah okay. Well, I like that. I, I think that's the first report of a, a grandmother with the multipad lifestyle. So I appreciate that. Well, it works very, very well, I have to say. So, so Rose, tell us some of your favorite apps. Well, uh, I, I basically live in OmniFocus because that's where most of my brain is. I'm, I'm very, very forgetful. So if I don't write it down, then I, I have no idea what I'm doing from day to day, from minute to minute at times. Um, at work, I, I use OmniFocus as well. I did have a brief fling with Todoist when I was stuck on Windows and that just didn't work for me. Um, uh, so at work, I'm using... Um, PHP Storm as my primary application for almost everything. It's an intelligent development environment. Basically, it's like a text editor on steroids for programmers. Now, now on OmniFocus, when you say you're using, you're describing the different devices you use it, but do you use it in different ways? Like, like where do you do most of your capture and versus processing and things like that? It depends. So if I'm at work, then I pretty much nowadays interact with it exclusively on the Mac because I have my perspectives and everything set up on my work machine for work. And um, But if I'm anywhere else, then I pick up my iPhone or my Apple Watch or my iPad and I, I, I put stuff into it. And at home, I actually don't really use OmniFocus on my Mac anymore because most of the time when I'm doing things, it's 
home things that I need to do. And so I need, I'm wandering around the house anyway, looking for things. So that's where the iPhone is brilliant because it's always with me. How many tasks do you have in your uh, OmniFocus database? Roughly. Um, I have no idea. I'm going to go with probably around about 2000. Yeah. So you've got um, a lot of stuff going on in there. That, that That's a really common question I'm getting from people lately is saying, well, you know, what do you do when you have 2000 tasks? How do you manage it? And, and I, I feel like that's the job of a good task manager. And OmniFocus isn't the only one. There's other ones out there that can do it too. But but you've got to have some kind of structure to it um, in order to to kind of see the stuff you want to be working on. You're not going to look at the 2,000 list items every day. Uh, what's, your, what's your strategy for that? Yeah, I was going to ask you, can you give us a little breakdown of of, of how you're, you're big picture organizing those? Because that, that seems a little overwhelming. Yeah, well, I have a very, very convenient folder called Not Right Now. And so when I'm doing my reviews, if I see a project and I'm like, you know what, that, that's just not coming up even for like another six months, I drag the whole project and I stick it in not right now. So like that's kind of like your someday maybe list in, in, in a sense, yeah. Exactly. Um, I, I also have a someday maybe list because not right now is more, I'm going to get around to this, but I, I just can't do it right now. If I have that on my list, on my plate as well at the moment, that's that's going to overwhelm me and I'm not going to cope with it. Um, so not right now is I'm getting to it, but not right now. And someday maybe is more of a, mm, this is a nice idea. Let's see if I ever get around to it. Um, and not not right now also tends to have more structure to it. Um, so I will actively go in and update the projects there. But that that's for me the key. And then your perspectives exclude not right now stuff when you're looking at your daily. Yeah, my perspectives exclude not right now and someday maybe because they're things that I'm not working on right now. They're not coming up. And yes, so custom perspectives, I have to say, are one of the, the big features in OmniFocus for me. So being able to see items, I've got a, a perspective, uh, two perspectives, one for work and one for home, which are just um, recent things and it, it's just called recent one's recent work one's recent home and it's grouped and ordered by defer date because if it had a defer date in the past that it would become available then that once that day has gone by it doesn't show in your forecast view anymore which is perfect it's as designed because otherwise my forecast view would just be overwhelming uh, but sometimes it's good to go back and see oh yeah there was that thing that was only available after january 1st what was that oh right i need to file my tax return <laughs> And that's not due until May. That's fine. But being able to go back and go, oh, yeah, I was planning on working on that. Right. I'll do that um, is, is very, very useful. Yeah, it, I, that is the I mean, that's the whole point of the software is to find a way to make order out of the chaos. And and it's not unusual for people that are busy like you to have a lot of projects and, and possibly 2000 tasks. Um, and I think that, you know, there's a couple ways to deal with that. One is to find order. Another one is to, you know, get out the machete and get rid of stuff. But uh, either way, you've got to find your peace with it. You can't look at all 2000 items every day and keep your sanity. What are some of your other favorite apps? We've talked about workflow already, I think. Um, and uh, and Python Easter, of course, is one of my other favorites, as is Drafts. Um, but I, I use Fantastical as my daily calendar app, both on the Mac and on iOS. Just I really like how it works and the fact that on Mac OS you can have the two different time zones. So I can have my local time zone on the left side and then the time zone of the country that I'm going to visit next on the right side, for example, if I'm traveling. It's, it's really nice. They added that with the 
most recent. Well, I guess last year they added that. And I use that all the time. Even when I'm talking to um, uh, to folks in Europe or Asia for the law business, just trying to get a call scheduled is so hard when you're in these time zones that are across the world. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's just such a useful feature. So for example, next week, I'm going to visit my parents in the UK. Well, the UK is only an hour difference, but still it's it's good to be able to line it up. And then my trip after that, I'll be flying to Chicago and hopefully meeting some Matt Power users there. And it's it's nice to be able to see, ah, right, okay, no, that's not at 1.30 in the morning, that's at 6.30 in the evening and compare things that way. Yeah. And I bet because, you know, you're so geeky like us, you probably have mastered the fantastic health capture, you know, where you can add all the codes as you're creating events, right? Definitely. One of my first uh, experimentations with uh, Keyboard Maestro was actually uh, creating and then parsing a list of, it was just events that I was pasting into the fantastic uh, uh menu just because I wanted them automatically created. No, wait, wait a second. Explain that to me. What, what is it doing? So um, I, I had a list of uh, assignments. They were due almost weekly, but not quite weekly. And I wanted the deadlines in my calendar. So I, I started in numbers and I just dragged, I used the, the drag down autocomplete or um, the copy to the following cell plus one feature. So you would add the date. Yeah. And then I added all the dates. Um, and then I, I dumped that into a text thing and I had Keyboard Maestro splitting it into individual lines and sending it to Fantastical because I didn't, I didn't know if I could do any more than that, but I, I had that running and that was really useful. So that I had all my deadlines in my calendar. Okay. So did you, when you did that, did you put the Fantastical syntax into the numbers database or did you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so did. you just wrote it like <laughs> you were going to do a Fantastical entry in numbers. Then you took the text out. And then you had um, Keyboard Maestro split each line and then put it a separate entry. And I would assume you had like a little delay there. So fantastic how time to crunch it. That is smart. I like that, Rose. That's a good idea. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I had a lot of assignments, especially in my first few semesters. And I, I had multiple things due every single week. And I didn't want to copy and paste the 100 odd items into Fantastical. So I, I scripted it, which was really, really useful in hindsight. Yeah. We've heard from people in the past looking to, to auto create calendar entries. Katie, you remember what's the name of that app on iOS where you can create repeating calendar entries? I forget the name of it. Calendar paste. Calendar pace, of course, calendar pace. But the uh, but this is another way. I I, I think um, Roses gets more geek points, really. You know, <laughs> creating a script, keyboard maestro. I love that. Okay. Well, Calpaste is really good. I've used it as well because Calpaste is great if you've got exactly the same thing that needs to be repeated every time. The trick with mine is it wasn't exactly the same thing. The name of the event was changing every single time. Yeah, and probably different deadlines and other things too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I use Fantastical for. Um, my next favorite application is Launch Center Pro, which does not get enough love. It's it's one of my fr most frequently used applications, really. Okay, see, I used to use that all the time, but between workflow and drafts, it just kind of fell off the radar for me. Where where do I need Launch Center Pro these days that I don't already have problems solved with the uh, workflow and drafts? So that you get reminded to launch your workflows. <laughs> okay, that's what I use it for. So, so tell us about that. So Launch Center Pro kicks things off for me. So for example, at nine o'clock in the evening, it pops up and it says, hey, don't forget to sync your OmniFocus database. So this is a, a leftover from when I was experimenting with lots of beta software and it had 
caused a few issues. I probably don't need it anymore, but I open it and then it sticks my OmniFocus database. When I arrive at work in the morning, it pops up and goes, don't forget to clock in. And if I execute, if I open the notification, it executes my workflow, which clocks me in at work. Is that a location-based notice from Launch Center Pro? Yes. Okay. So it realizes you're at work. Yeah. So time and location-based. Yeah. Time and location-based ones are absolutely my favorite things. Yeah. Because I don't think you could do that with workflow because it's not always looking. No, it isn't. So with workflow, there's a couple of ways to automate things. So if you're in the workflow, then you can say, hey, Apple's lady, uh, remind me of this at five o'clock. And then at five o'clock, reminders will pop up. And if you open the reminder, it will open the workflow for you. But then you have to talk to your phone to do it. And saying, remind me to do this at five o'clock every day. If you're using reminders for something, then you're going to get it cluttered with a lot of these things very, very quickly. So moving that over to Launch Center Pro for me was really, really useful. And Launch Center Pro, it does things like it reminds me to open my grocery list when I get to the supermarket, which is really useful. Yeah, I mean, just just I guess that that's the piece that I wasn't aware of, that it can be always aware of your location and activate essentially without the app being open, it can kick off automation, which is something I cannot do with workflow. Now, could you also make it uh, go to the next step and, and fire? Cause I thought it could fire off the workflow as well. Could it do that automatically? If you open the notification that Launch Center Pro sends you, then it will fire off the action. But if you don't open the notification, then it's stuck. It's basically hanging until it gets user input. Apple doesn't, at the current point in time, let um, things execute 100% on iOS without some form of user interaction, which is unfortunate, but I also see why they won't do it for security reasons. Yeah. I mean, even if you just like look at when you use a, an, an advanced workflow that has multiple apps and you watch the screen like jump around and I mean, stuff is happening on the screen that Apple never intended to happen. <laughs> I think that uh, we have already got far beyond what they ever expected. But, but I, you know, just, just the way things happen on the screen is a sign to me that they really didn't expect we would figure this stuff out. <laughs> yes. Well, as you said, URL schemes were never quite intended to be used the way that they are. Now, are you? what else are you doing with LaunchNet Pro? Because I'm, I'm going to load it up after we get done today and figure out what I can do. So tell me some other tricks I can do with LaunchNet Pro. Well, for example, if you, it, it depends. So it can do basic URL scheme things on its own. So if you're a day one user, there's a lot of really good day one actions where you can have it automatically open. Um, and I'm just going to tap on that. There we go. Um, and it will ask you a series of questions uh, before it does that. And then it dumps the whole thing into day one, which is really, really nice. Um, you can use it to open certain people's profiles in Tweetbot if that's something that you do regularly. So uh, there, are, there are a couple of group people like The Verge. I don't follow them on Twitter, but sometimes it's nice to know what they've been tweeting or what their headlines are. Um, but if I put them in my RSS reader, I'll get overwhelmed. So I have one that will open The Verge's Twitter profile so that my timeline doesn't get flooded, but I can still check in and see what's happening, uh, which is really nice. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by SaneBox. Visit SaneBox.com slash MPU to receive a $25 credit on any plan. So email is hard. 
And we get so much information coming at us through email, and really, most of it, we don't have to deal with, whether it's spam or bacon or any of those other junk that just gets thrown at you in your inbox. SaneBox can help you with that. SaneBox learns what email is important to you, and it filters out what isn't, saving you hours of work. And best of all, you don't have to use a special email program. You don't have to change the way that you work with email. SaneBox works with all kinds of email programs and services. Nothing special has to be done. It has amazing email filtering. The first thing they do is they give you a sane later folder, which helps you keep in your inbox only those things that really matter. And then once you get the hang of that, you can start expanding and using all of the other amazing features of SaneBox. One of my favorites is the snooze feature. It's great for deferring emails into the next business day or maybe in a weekend. If you know you're not going to be able to get to something until Saturday morning, throw it in your weekend folder and then you don't have to have it sitting there staring at you in your inbox when you know there's nothing you're going to be able to do about it. It will just pop back up in your inbox on Saturday morning. And there's sane reminders. So if you send somebody an email and you know that you need to follow up on it if you don't hear back from them, Sane Reminders is great for that. You can copy, say, one week at SaneBox.com, and if your receiver doesn't follow up with you, you'll get a reminder from SaneBox to tell you to follow up. It's so many less things that you have to remember to keep in your head, because SaneBox just takes care of it. So SaneBox will do all of this and more. They'll do things like take care of your attachments, they'll save them to cloud services, they'll help your assistant help you monitor email. You have to try it to believe it. So head on over to SaneBox.com slash MPU. You can start a 14-day free trial, and when you love it, use the code MPU to receive a $25 credit on any plan. Thanks to SaneBox for their continued support of the show. I, I want to continue the interview, but I also want to play with Launch Center Pro, so I'm not sure how this is all going to work out. <laughs> but but let, let's continue. Uh, there's a couple other apps you listed here, Rose, that we don't talk about too often. Uh, one of them is Draft Code. What is that? So for people who program, um, they're probably used to using something called an intelligent development environment. Um, so it's a, a very smart text editor, essentially. Draft code is an intelligent development e- environment for iOS, which runs PHP. Um, only it's gone a little bit further and it can actually run an entire WordPress instance on your iPad, which is really, really good if you'd like to travel and you want to develop on your iPad and you want to be able to do that locally. So for example, if you're on a eight hour plane journey, then you can do all of that. And it's got a lot of PHP uh, requirements in there. It can't run everything by itself, but the developer, I have to say, is very responsive. I've reached out to him on Twitter a couple of times with questions, and he's really, really nice. All right. What else are uh, some of your favorite apps? Yeah. Well, I also have Launcher, which is very similar to Launch Center Pro, only it's widgets, and you can do location-based widgets. And so lo- widgets will d- appear and disappear from that screen, depending on where you are. So for example, when I'm at work, I have an at work widget, which has my frequently used work applications, like the Outlook apps that I need to use, things like that. Um, and if I'm in, for example, Chicago, then I can create uh, a widget for Chicago in advance, which has things that I might want to use there, like the Ventra app to check how much money is on the public transport card and things like that, which is really, really nice. Yeah, I, I am definitely um, with you on that app. So uh, the the point that she made that I, I really think everybody needs to take note of is, uh, you know, you have limited space when you slide over your screen. You know, there's not a whole lot of room there. And uh, the idea is for that 
that area to adapt to where you're at or what time of day it is. And Launcher allows you to do that, allows you to change the key apps available and uh, based on where you are and when you are. It's a great idea. I feel like it should be something that should be sure locked. Um, But I don't know. I don't know if Apple would ever get that fiddly with it. And, and, you know, for us geeks, uh, we want it to be fiddly. So uh, Launcher is a, is a great app. When it first came out, it was kind of controversial. I mean, I don't know if you remember, it was a whole lot of stuff going on when it first came out that Apple didn't think people would do that with, you know, the control center and, I guess it's not called the controls. What do you call that screen? Um, the um, today's screen. Today's screen. I guess yeah. it, 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 it seems like every version of iOS we want to call it something different. But yeah, the today's screen. Uh, but but they really took it to another level. Then Apple decided, okay, we'll let them do it, and then they really put the pedal down, and it's it's got some great features. Yeah. It's great because you can put workflows in there. You can just put notification things in there. So, for example, how much of your storage space that you're using on your iPhone, especially if you've got a smaller iPhone, then that's quite useful to be able to see at a glance what the weather is, things like that. It's it's nice, and it doesn't take up much space either. Rose, you travel quite a lot, um, both in the UK and then internationally as well. Have you picked up some tips or some favorite apps for, for moving about the world? Yes. So one of my most frequently used things is TripIt. So TripIt is a service where you can forward your booking confirmations to them. They do some magic with the parsing and they turn it into an itinerary for you. And you can add that itinerary as a calendar to your calendar. And you've got all of the information then consolidated into one application. So it's not, oh, wait, wait, when did I book this hotel for this trip or things like that? Especially for people who travel a lot, it's great. Even if you don't travel a lot, though, it's really good. So I suggested it to a friend recently and she realized that she booked the wrong dates for her hotel um, within an hour of booking it because her trip at timeline wasn't lining up. So that's really, really useful. Now, is TripIt a subscription based at this point or are there some free tiers? Uh, they have a free tier and then they have a, I think it's called a pro tier. Um, the pro tier gives you extra things like notifications if your flights are delayed, information like that. The free tier is very good as well. I used the free tier for a long time. I travel enough nowadays that the, the pro tier has made itself worth it for me, but it, it can be used for free. So it's it's nice to try. Do you have a favorite? Um, so I guess TripIt then takes situation for you of, of what are you using for notifications of is your flight delayed? Because I know a lot of us were using Flight Tracker that is now no longer in business. Yeah, so that, that was my go-to app as well. And there there is a replacement application which I use, which is also called Flight Tracker. Um, and, and that's pretty good as well. So confusing. Yeah, it's, it's very confusing. That's pretty good as well. And I use that for tracking other people's flights when they're coming to visit me or when my parents are going somewhere, just making sure that everything's fine for them, things like that. And that, that's pretty good as well. Um, but I have to say the best applications in my experience for tracking flights are the applications of the airports. Not the airlines, but the airports themselves. So lots of airports have their own application and they'll send you a push notification when your gate opens, when the baggage is coming through, things like that. And and that's quite useful. Any other travel apps you'd recommend? Um, Well, I I use an app called Mapstra. That's M-A-P-S-T-R. And it's like the old putting a push pin or a cross on a map. 
but it's on steroids. So you can add tags to your pins. So for example, if I'm going to Chicago in March, which I am, then I have a, a tag called Chicago. So I can automatically just filter for everything. And then I have food, I have shopping. So the Apple store obviously is in there. Luma Nati's pizza is in there. And depending on if I'm hungry, then I can just open the app and go, oh, right. Okay. Oh, there's that pizza place nearby that I wanted to try. And that that's really, really, really nice. I'm super interested to hear your opinion of Chicago pizza because it can be very divisive. I, I tried it last year and I have to say I did enjoy it. Uh, so I, I'm going to have to try a few different ones this time to make sure I'm, I'm really getting the full experience. But I, I was a fan last time. All right. All right. Rose, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for all that you do for our Mac Power users community. Um, I, I feel like this has been a long time coming, but I've, I'm so glad we finally had the opportunity to check in with you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really great to talk to you guys. Uh, where can people find you these days other than on the, the Facebook group? Well, yes, as, as you um, implied, I'm permanently lurking in the Facebook group. But uh, on Twitter, I'm at Rosemary Orchard. And uh, I have a blog as well, rosemaryorchard.com, where I post nerdy things, quite a few things about automation as well, which might interest some of the listeners. Yeah, everybody, go check it out. And, uh, and thank you again, Rose, for coming on the show. We're the Mac Power Users. You can find us on Twitter at Mac Power Users. Katie's at Katie Floyd. I'm at Max Sparky. Uh, thanks to our sponsors, Smile, Fracture, Omni Group, and SaneBox. And we'll see you all next week. Bye.